It's Sunday morning. Time for the Great Outdoors with Charlie Potter. Brought to you by the all-new Chevy Silverado and ChevyDriveChicago.com on Chicago's very own 720 WGN. Good morning. Welcome to the Great Outdoors Show. Charlie Potter, your host here on WGN Radio. As we roll into November, the month when now the clock really ticks for migrating birds, and also it's when everything is on the move. Deer in rut, everything's getting ready for that month of December. And last week, as you know, I did a show from the beach of Northern California, and then I stopped in Salt Lake City on my way to back to wonderful Chicago. And in Salt Lake, an amazing announcement was unveiled. Two amazing announcements, actually. They're linked together. The governor of Utah announced at a Ducks Unlimited special evening to announce the Ducks Unlimited huge initiative to help try to save the Great Salt Lake. The governor of Utah announced that Utah will be facilitating the making of a new IMAX giant screen movie called Secrets of Great Salt Lake. And this movie builds on the success of the IMAX film Wings Over Water, which you've heard me talk about many times uh, with a number of individuals and how that film is trying to bring an awareness to the world of the importance of America's North America's Amazon, our prairie wetlands and the incredible number of birds that depend upon our prairie wetlands, which, of course, are the major migratory route for all bird species through Illinois and down the Mississippi Flyway. And in particular, about 70% of the continent's birds, all birds, utilize the prairies at one time or another, either on their northward migration, their southward migration, or to breed. So Secrets of the Great Salt Lake is based upon the need for the Great Salt Lake to be saved. And you've heard me talk about that as well. The Great Salt Lake, which you've been reading about nationally and uh, is in its lowest levels ever. The salinity rates have reached a point where they are crossing a threshold where the entire ecosystem of the Great Salt Lake could be in jeopardy. Some say total collapse. As you know, I'm not an alarmist. I'll just say in jeopardy. So the Great Salt Lake is at its lowest level ever recorded, going back, in this case, we're going back to pre-Ice Age. Then what's happening is the lake is, as the lake is drying, the West is in, in the midst of a, of really now a 10-year or a longer drought, depending on where you are. As the Great Salt Lake is drying up, the salinity level of the Great Salt Lake has increased dramatically. And as it's increased... It affects, of course, all the whole ecosystem of the lake that has evolved over millennia with certain kinds of salinity levels. And once it gets over 18 parts per million in the water, the, the ability of brine shrimp, which are the, the major food source for, for the lake, for everything utilized in the lake, and also, by the way, is the largest industry on the lake. Brine shrimp provide feed for virtually every kind of food that you can think of that we eat. They feed fish in game farms. They feed dogs. They feed cats. They're made into meal. Brine shrimp are at the very, very beginning of the ecosystem. They're microscopic in size. 
very, very small. And as the salinity level rises, their ability to adapt and reproduce uh, are, are very much in jeopardy. And what they're finding, and it's, it's happening before our very eyes, just six years ago, the salinity level was 12, and now it's 18. Never been recorded this high. And after about 17, they feel the impact on brine shrimp is, is going to be significant. They're finding that as a result of the salinity level, the brine shrimp females are laying much larger. They lay millions of eggs, are laying larger, a larger number of eggs, but their survivability of the eggs is lessened. They're not hatching as well. And as again, they were talking about a microscopic species. So the governor of Utah announced a, a basically it's, it's time, it's showtime. Utah has to save the Great Salt Lake. And he would like the entire world to know about how magnificent the Great Salt Lake is. And it truly is. We think here in Illinois, why, why would we care about the Great Salt Lake? I mean, that is, that is in Utah. I've never even been there. And I just think of it as a big salty lake. Well, it's not. It's, it's arguably as rich an ecosystem as exists in the, in the Western Hemisphere. Uh, its biodiversity is incredible. And its important to bird, importance to bird life from Alaska to Chile is, is unmatched. It also happens to be, as I talked about, the largest industry in the country for brine shrimp. It also has, produces almost all of North America's magnesium, or America's magnesium comes out of the Great Salt Lake. And on top of that, it, of course, creates the incredible snow for which Utah is so well known. So saving the Great Salt Lake is, is hugely important to all of us, maybe out west, but we're all linked, as we know, and it affects weather patterns widely. So Ducks Unlimited is, has announced, and Adam Putman, the CEO of Ducks Unlimited, uh, came to Utah to meet with the governor and and the leader of the, the president of the Senate and the, and the leader of the Speaker of the House and the head of the Department of Natural Resources at a, at a special meeting, an evening, in which Ducks Unlimited announced its biggest initiative ever in the West to save the Great Salt Lake, a multi-million dollar program to work with the state of Utah and the federal government and other organizations to do what Ducks Unlimited does best, which is to preserve habitat and to manage water. So for the first time, we have a state agency putting in large amounts of money. The federal government is surely going to put in large amounts of money. And Ducks Unlimited is going to lead the private sector efforts to work with the state of Utah and to work with all the, all the groups in Utah, the non-government organizations, foundations, to truly turn something around that if we don't, if we don't, if we don't succeed, we are literally going to watch the death of one of the greatest ecosystems that we have in the Western hemisphere. So it was a very historic evening in Salt Lake City this past week. And if I'm a little hoarse, it's because I've been traveling. It was a very, very historic evening in Salt Lake City this past week. And Secrets of the Great Salt Lake, the IMAX movie, the state of Utah is fully behind, Ducks Unlimited is fully behind, and once again, a major effort is going to be made to save the wetlands of North America through using the giant screen using Utah.
as an example, in this case, the Great Salt Lake. So that's the news on my way back from, as I said, following shorebirds down the beaches of Northern California, driven by a north wind a week ago, flew into Utah, and then, of course, come back to this wonderful area we call home, Chicago. So before I go to the break, I'm simply going to say that you've asked me often about 40 years ago and the things that I did on my migration. I'm going to tell you in just a moment when I come back. But first, a message from our longtime sponsors, the Chicagoland and Northwest Indiana Chevrolet dealers. And this is Charlie Potter on the Outdoor Voice of Chicago and America. 720 WGN. When sunrise is your alarm clock, life is different. You eat a ditch for breakfast. Love the smell of diesel in the morning with a hot cup of joe. The weather report is 40% chance of mud. And corporate pull, that's 36,000 pounds of towing capacity with a gooseneck trailer. Mudden is PTO. You know sometimes when the paved road ends, the fun begins. Chevy Silverado 3500 HD is waiting to run over something, anything. No road, no problem, because the best way out is always through. A trouble rides a swift horse, and you don't want trouble pulling a backhoe loader. Chevy Silverado HD is a wake-up call. Now, during Chevy truck season, get a $1,000 accessory allowance toward the purchase of a new truck with accessories. You worked hard for your money. Spend it smart. So see your Chicagoland and Northwest Indiana Chevy dealer today or go to ChevyDriveChicago.com for all the details. Chevy Silverado HD. Power up and experience life in HD. It's Charlie Potter and the Great Outdoors on Chicago's very own 720 WGN. Welcome back to the Great Outdoors show. Listen to Charlie Potter here on WGN Radio in Chicago, the outdoor voice of America. So landing back in Chicago after a great trip to the American West made me think of some emails I got this received this week from a number of you who said, please keep telling occasionally your uh, stories from 40 years ago when you followed the Great Migration. So I'm going to give you a quick story on that before I turn to a conservation issue towards the end of the show, and I hope you're enjoying it. And once again, uh, really kudos to Ducks Unlimited for their leadership in, in, in this major initiative to save the Great Salt Lake, and, and really also to the leadership of the state of Utah and the governor of Utah and the director of natural resources in Utah, uh, Joel Ferry. Uh, they, they are doing something historic that uh, could have profound impacts for the betterment of wildlife and waterfowl uh, across so much of North America. So 40 years ago, where was I? Halloween weekend. Well, I was uh, on the Delta Marsh in Manitoba as the world was icing up and waterfowl were moving by the tens of thousands, ducks, geese, swans had already left. It was the last, the last of the last gasp before it shut down for winter and the water turned hard. And if you think about that today, this happens to be an unusually mild fall. There was a bit of cold weather across the prairies a week ago, but now they're in mild temperatures. And it's actually the first fall in the last three years when the hammer hasn't come down uh, by the 20th of October. For the last three years, between the, the 18th and the 22nd of October, all of Prairie Canada froze. This year, we're here we are well in the November and there's wide open water. So the migration, uh, to some extent, is, is very leisurely now. But the day will come soon. When, when that will change. But 40 years ago, 
winter was coming. There was no question about it. It was rolling down Lake Manitoba. The wind was blowing out of the north, and we had just a couple days left before it would all be over. I was at the famed Delta Marsh, and I was hunting with Bill Webster, the founder of Wild Wings, who I've had in the air many years ago. Unfortunately, he's deceased now, but he he was a legend in the conservation world for his work. And, and, and aside from that, one of the greatest gentlemen I've ever known. We're sitting on the Delta Marsh. The wind is blowing, just blowing so hard out of the north. And we are, we've paddled our canoes into a little bay, Caddam Bay, which is about, at this point, about a mile and a half from the Delta Waterfowl and Wetlands Research Station. We were staying in Kirkhoffer Lodge, where the Duke of York had stayed at this point, at that point, about 90 years ago. Of just a wonderful old lodge. Uh, full of history, and and the door in the lodge still had the Duke of York's signature on it. Uh, just lots of history in the Delta Marsh, as so many of you know, and I've talked about over the years. So we are we know we're having the last hunt of of 1982. Uh, we're going to be leaving that afternoon, but one last crack at canvasbacks. Canvasbacks in 1982, as were so many duck species, they were they were really in, in tough times. The drought was very severe. And so while the Canadian limit on canvasbacks was, was still, I believe, five at the time, uh, Bill Webster and I decided that we would each shoot one can and then we would hopefully shoot some mallards and some bluebills. But we were looking each for one trophy, Drake canvasback, the bull can, the king of ducks, what, brought, what made the Delta Marsh famous as the greatest canvasback shooting ground in, in Canada. And, and perhaps, aside from the Chesapeake and San Francisco Bay, the greatest canvasback shooting ground on earth that brought the duke of york there it's what caused the delta waterfowl foundation to be founded there and anyway we're we're hoping that a group of cans will come by they're they're literally leaving uh by the by the dawn the next day we know that the marsh is going to be largely frozen and the cans will be gone we've been out for about two hours and we've shot a couple of ringnecks and we shot a mallard apiece and the reason i remember this so well is it's a hunt i'll never forget we, we, we had, the wind is just screaming at our backs. And out of, out of the southeast, we see that unmistakable flight pattern of half a dozen canvasbacks flying, as they do, 15 yards over the water. Just They look like great big torpedoes coming at you, and yet they're moving, even into the wind, they're moving probably 40 miles an hour. And they come barreling towards our decoys, they swing around, they go by at about 40 yards, and we watch them turn up wind. We give the, 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 the growl of a canvasback call, which I, I won't try to do on the air, uh, but we give the growl, the purr of a canvasback, and they turn and they rush downwind past us again, just out of gun range. There's no way we're going to try to shoot at a canvasback going downwind. We wanted those birds to be just absolutely perfect. And they went about 60 yards below us, and then they turned and they picked up the end of the string of the decoys, and Bill and I looked at each other, one drake apiece. And they came in, and they were 30 yards out, and they were over the decoys. And canvasback don't put their wings down and feet out like, like mallards do and settle in. They, they have one speed, and it's all out. And they were, they were flaps down, and they're cruising by, their big feet extended. And Bill and I rose, and I picked the lead, the lead drake, and I pulled once. And Bill pulled once. And when I pulled on the lead drake, the bird behind the lead drake fell. 
The bird behind that bird fell, and much to my astonishment and quick chagrin, the bird behind that bird fell, and the lead draped full canvas back, and it's glistening. It was, even though the sun was, was not entirely out, its bright crimson head flew off, and behind it lay three canvas back and the decoys. And I turned to, and I shot one shell. And I turned to Bill Webster and I said, Bill, you just shot three canvas back. And Bill said in his Minnesota accent, no, I didn't. My Drake can is over here. And I looked left and there's a beautiful Drake can on the water 25 yards away. And Bill looks out of the decoys. And now this is one of the most famous conservationists in North America in the latter half of, of the uh, 20th century. And, and, and the purveyor of the greatest of artists, David Moss, Hagerbomber, all of them, Grammy, all of them went, went through Wild Wing. And he looks out at the decoys and he said, Charlie, you just shot three hen canvasbacks. And, and I, of course, was aghast. I knew I had shot at the Drake. It was going so fast and the wind was blowing so hard that I hit the bird behind it and my shot string was such that the two birds behind that fell. And here I am. We're trying everything we can do to not shoot a hen canvas back. And the reason I tell that story is no matter how hard you try, no matter how, how much you care and you don't want to mis- make a mistake, mistakes happen. And that's part of duck hunting. And I, I felt terrible. And, of course, everyone back at camp just gave me a roasting like I've never had in a duck, in a duck camp before. But these things happen. And the reason I tell that story is not only was it 40 years ago, but I tell that story because also it is a story about despite the best of intentions, things can happen, whether it's deer hunting or duck hunting or you're sure you shot a cock pheasant and it's a dog brings back a hen. But hopefully all of us in the outdoors are conscientious about what we're trying to shoot and not just shoot at targets because they're targets flying by. So had I not been absolutely certain I was trying to shoot a Drake canvas back, I probably would have, you know, just said, oh, my God, I shot three. That's, that's just, you know, without thinking. But when we go hunting, whether it's for ducks or pheasants, whatever it is, we should be, we all hopefully are thoughtful of the resource and the pleasure they give us. And in the case of waterfowl, Look for the drakes at all possible. In Illinois, it's drake mallards. Always look for the drake mallards. You're going to make mistakes. I make mistakes. The best, the best hunters in the world make mistakes. But it's the intent that I think that drives us. And also it's so much more rewarding when a group of ducks come in and you, you let the hens pass and you wait for the drakes. So that's my story from 40 years ago. The wind blew me out of Manitoba. And in the next few weeks, I'll tell you where it sent me. In the meantime, I hope you have a wonderful week in the great outdoors. Thank you so much for listening. As the winds of Gitchagumi get ready for November. This is Charlie Potter on the Outdoor Voice of Chicago in America, 720 WGN.